Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your blessings already today. What a fun service this has been already. Now, Lord, speak to us about choices. May we feel empowered today to choose, and may we do so wisely. In Jesus' name, amen. As he stood that day beside his uncle, the patriarch, both standing on the crest of a hill, looking left and looking right, Lot had a choice to make. A choice that, like choices sometimes do, would define the outcome of his life. Too bad he chose unwisely. Though at the time, I think he thought the opposite. In fact, I think he, had, he thought he had chosen wisely, or at least for sure, he had chosen shrewdly. The patriarch was Abraham, or rather Abram, the name by which he was known at that time. And his brother, Lot's father, had died some years ago. And Lot had kind of seen Abram as a new father figure, and Abram had accepted him as a part of his group, and and Lot was with him, and the two of them, along with Abram's wife Sarai, later known as Sarah, had left the land of the east together along with their flocks and all the people of their household after the death of Abram's father, Terah, at the Lord's command, Genesis 12, verse 1 Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And God had made good on his word. Not just his word to bless Abram. But also Lot was blessed as well as a part of that household. In fact, so much had God made good his word that now a new problem had arisen, the challenge of excessive prosperity. Genesis 13, verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. Verse 8, so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Choice. We start a new series today, one that will run this month and next, a series based on the excellent whole life health program developed by Florida Hospital called Creation Health. It's an acronym. Creation is an acronym. The C stands for choice. R is for rest. E, environment, A, activity, T, trust, I, interpersonal relationships, O, outlook, and N, nutrition. You see, it's not just 
fitness and it's not just rules for eating and it's not just making sure you take a mandated rest, but rather it's a holistic idea, a whole life way of thinking and living that will, if followed, regardless of how healthy you think you are right now, will, if followed, make your life better. Think about it. You can have a better life. But to have it, you will have to start by making a choice. Which appropriately is the first letter in our creation acronym, and thus quite unsurprisingly, our topic for today. And in addition, it's also the reason why we are considering the life of Lot. For Lot's life would be the result not of fate or bad luck or circumstances beyond his control, but rather the result of a choice and a series of choices, including the one he was about to make that day on the hill as he stood beside his uncle and his mentor. True enough, as we will see, after this day, many things would happen to Lot that would seem ill fortune or bad luck or the result of circumstances beyond his control. Yet in truth, all these things came merely as a result of Lot's initial choice and Lot's continuing choices, just like it is most times for us, if we care to be honest. For are not most of our ill fortunes, our bad luck, and the times when circumstances go beyond our control, aren't they actually just the unavoidable fruits of choices we willingly made? Choice. Genesis 13, verse 10, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. On the face of it, one would think, as Lot likely did, that he had at least chosen shrewdly, if not wisely. You're standing there and you see one region that's watered by a river and another region that's a little bit barren in hillside. And you're thinking, what's the better way to go? But there was a problem with this choice. A problem revealed in the next verse, verse 13. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and we're sinning greatly against the Lord. So here's the thing. Lot chose a great land, but unfortunately he also chose bad company. And in the end, that's what mattered most. Choice. It has become popular in our day to most times cast ourselves as victims of bad luck or victims of circumstances beyond our control. As a result, there is one skill I think we have become amazingly adept at, the skill of making excuses. Some have even perfected it to an art form, deftly managing to never be responsible for anything they do or anything that goes wrong. It's never their fault. 
So much has this, in fact, become true that it's shockingly refreshing anytime someone actually takes responsibility for something. But is it true that we are truly just helpless pawns swept along in someone else's story with no choices left for us to make? I will admit that sometimes life becomes this way, but ironically, if we will honestly trace things back when those things happen, will we not, more often than not, find a choice we made somewhere in haste or in laziness or in a lack of discipline that has in fact now forced upon us this unescapable scenario we find ourselves in? I have to confess, I have suffered many cruel and unavoidable fates that resulted from my inattention or my procrastination or my marginal decision-making. I've suffered very few times when it wasn't my fault. We used to have sayings about things like this. A stitch in time saves nine. Remember that? It meant do the right thing right now and you won't be in an ugly situation later. There was another one. Pay me now or pay me later. The day does come in our lives when we do not have a choice, but usually it only comes after the many choices that have led us to that day. Lot chose to live in the valley where the land was well watered and the living was easy. But it was a choice with consequences, some beyond his control. Genesis 14, verse 1. At the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Ariok king of Elisar, Ketoleomer king of Elam, and Tidal king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera king of Sodom, Bersha king of Gomorrah, Shinab king of Adma, Shemeber king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. I read you all these names that are irrelevant to us because what's going to happen here, Lot's not going to be able to do anything about. You see, there are other things at work in the world than our lives sometimes. All these latter kings joined forces in the Valley of Sedim, that is the Dead Sea Valley. For 12 years they had been subject to Ketoleomer, but in the 13th year they rebelled. You see these nations, this idea from Daniel of the nations as raging beasts that go forth and devour, that wasn't a new idea. That's been going on a long time. Genesis 14, verse 5, in the 14th year of Ketoleomer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephites of Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Shava Kiriathaim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the Amorites who were living in Hatzazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Ketoleomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. 
Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, then they went away. And now you've read all of that, and you're like, okay, and? Well, that's the next verse. Verse 12, they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Lot chose to live amongst the kings. And so when the kings got carried off, so did Lot. But wait, you say, how could he have known? Well, in in fairness, perhaps he couldn't have known for sure But he certainly might have been able to discern that any ground that he found favorable, someone else might find favorable as well. And in addition, would it have killed him to have sought the Lord's guidance in the first place? You know, you look back to that decision on the hillside and you don't get any idea from reading the text that he said, you know, I'm not sure, let's pray about it. You don't get the sense he did that, do you? What you get is he looked and that was good and that wasn't so good over there. No guarantees regarding exactly what God would have told him had he prayed, but it seems from the telling that what Lot did was he made a self-serving choice and now he was reaping the consequences of circumstances beyond his control. So let me ask you, is that an identifiable pattern in your life? You make a self-serving choice and then find yourself reaping the consequences of circumstances beyond your control. You might at this point be feeling a touch despairing if you see that happen. So let me inject here a hopeful point. It is at this point, when all hope for Lot seems lost, that God in his mercy hatches a rescue plan for Lot. And understand, it's for Lot. It's not for the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 14, verse 13. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. Now notice an interesting point here. In the beginning of this whole thing, God promises to bless Abram and Lot who is with him is blessed as well. In fact, they are so blessed that the point comes where they separate as a result of the blessing. Lot goes to the really good land. Abram goes to the so-called marginal land, yet Abram is so blessed that he is able to call forth from his household a small army and call together his good friends and go after this army that has defeated everyone else and rescue Lot and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah along with all of their belongings that were taken. 
So this Abram, whom Lot assigned to the inferior land with his choice, has lived on God's blessing to the point that he alone is blessed enough to deliver even the kings that come from the prosperous land. Living on the hill with the Lord's blessing brings greater prosperity than living in the valley with the kings. And not only does he bring the kings back, he brings back the people. And not only does he bring back all the people, Abram also rescues all their belongings. And if you read the whole story, when it's done, Abram says, I got enough. You take all your stuff back. He had every right to keep everything they had. But he gave it back. This whole experience had been a near thing for Lot. He survived the attack But then he lost all his possessions and he and his family are being carried off, likely to be slaves for the rest of their lives. But thanks to the heroics of his uncle, he is rescued. And in fact, he also gets all his possessions back. Talk about grace. And one might be tempted to think that after this, Lot might have learned a lesson about hanging around with what the Bible refers to as wicked people. But sadly, this doesn't seem to be the case. Instead of learning his lesson and straight away moving out of the dangerous valley region, Lot remained in and around Sodom. The first time he chose to be there nearly cost him his fortune. His second time of choosing it will cost him that and more. Which brings me to an important point. Don't be so loyal to a bad decision that when you are graciously delivered from it, you make the same bad decision all over again. There is actually scientific evidence that suggests that if you get too used to a painful result of a bad situation, you might lose your ability in the long run, to escape when an opportunity comes. It seems to me there are many people in this day who have falsely learned this lesson. It happens tragically when they're forced to grow up living in pain and hardship as children and come to believe they have no meaningful choice in their life, no real way to change their reality, and no means by which to escape their painful fate. We call it cycles of poverty. And because of this, most never do escape. Yet I want all who hear me today to hear this clearly. In Jesus, there is always hope. And through Jesus comes grace to those who have suffered by no fault of their own, And even to those who suffer as a result of their own foolishness. There's grace for forgiveness. And there is grace for deliverance. Provided we choose to be delivered. Jesus can save you even out of a raging fire of your own making. If you choose to let him. Jesus is on your side with this. He will pluck you right from the fire. Zechariah 3 verse 2. The Lord said to Satan. The Lord rebuke you Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Verse 
Jesus will put his hand in the fire to get you out. But once he's gotten out, will you choose to let him save you while he can still save you with your life intact? Or as soon as he lets go of you, you're going to jump right back in the fire. Can Jesus save you with your life still intact? Or will it all have to burn up before you let him save you from the fire? Which sadly enough brings us back to Lot. And another example of Abram trying to save him. Lot is living in Sodom. And Abraham, for by now God has changed his name to Abraham, is living off away from the valley with just those in his compound. And one day, three strangers appear. Now, this is a fascinating story that we don't have time for, but suffice it to say, Abraham sees them, he invites them in, he gives them water, he gives them food, and they tell Sarah, she's now called Sarah, that in a year she will have a child. And there's a whole good story there. But these three are no normal visitors. But rather, we discover it's the Lord and two of his angels. Genesis 18, verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. And then what follows here is Abraham bargaining with God on behalf again of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah that he once already had to go and rescue after they'd been destroyed. So he's bargaining with God, but it's not really about the kings. It's mostly about Lot. That's who he cares about. And he bargains with God and he says, well, if you find 50, will you leave them? And it goes on and on and finally it gets to where he says, but what if there's only 10? And the Lord said, if I could find 10 righteous souls, I won't destroy the cities. I'm not going to go into detail with this story except to the degree to ask quite helplessly, Lot, what were you doing still living there? If the Lord can't even find 10 righteous people. In summary, the two angels entered the town disguised as men. Lot insists they come and stay at his house, which they at length agree to do. That night, the men of the town come and demand that the strangers be sent out to become victims of their vile passions, a demand that Lot refuses partially by making a most uncomfortable offer. I'll leave it to you to read the story. But soon enough, the townsmen are after Lot as well, which leads to this, Genesis 19, verse 10. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. 
The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Now one could understand in the night Lot's hesitance to leave in the context of having other family in town. And and after going and talking to them, you could understand he would want to go and do that. But, But once... They had failed to listen. Wouldn't you expect at this point Lot would say, okay, let's go and run? Yet here's what the text says, verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. So here's the scenario. The townsmen have threatened his life. His sons-in-law-to-be have treated his warning as a joke. And he knows that God's judgment is coming with the dawn. Yet for whatever reason, Lot still can't choose to leave. You ever been tied to something like that? Everything about it is clear that it's killing you, but you still can't walk away. Never be so loyal to a bad decision that when you are graciously delivered from it, you make the same decision all over again. Yet in this moment, we see the grace of God again. Lot deserved nothing more than to be burned up in his house. But verse 16, when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. Isn't God gracious? For the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. This sounds like really good advice to me. Yet even now, Lot defers. Verse 18, but Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. Come on, man, just once do what they said. The story ends like this. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. Now, I, Alicia, I forgot to bring that up here. Is it still sitting there? Okay, all right, I'll come here. Somebody came to me after first service with brimstone from the Dead Sea Valley. There you go. Sulfur out of heaven came and burned. Thus he overthrew those cities in the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. It didn't look so pretty anymore. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt.
Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plains, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe. Isn't that interesting how he says that? He remembered Abraham and he knew Abraham loved Lot and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Now here is the final epilogue, verse 30. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. Choice. When Lot first entered Sodom, he was a wealthy man with a family, multiple servants, and large herds of animals. He lost it all once during the reign of Ketoleomer, but God graciously gave it all back that time through Abraham's efforts. Yet still, Lot chose to stay. And in the end, his choice cost him everything. The Lord spared his life. And in a most uncomfortable way, his line through his daughters. But Lot lost everything else. And the rich man ended his life living in a cave. Choice. It is the key to creation health. It is the place where health begins. God has granted to us free will and choice. What are you choosing? Because your choices matter. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So here's my question to you. Will you commit with me today to choose life and health even if that means making changes. It may well be too late for you to be able to choose full health, either because of age or disease or or maybe because of the results of unalterable choices you've already made. But everyone can still choose rest and trust and having a positive outlook. And to a large degree, we can choose what our environment is going to be like. So even today, if your diagnosis is terminal, which by the way, all of us have a terminal diagnosis. You know that, right? It's only the timeline that's in question. But even if your diagnosis is terminal and your strength is gone, you can still choose 
through a positive outlook and through trust to have a better life. Don't be like Lot, so stubbornly tied to your bad choices that in the end you lose everything you care about. Instead, be like Abraham who didn't choose to seek the best places on the earth, but instead chose to seek the presence and the blessings of God. Our choices matter. God has been gracious to us. Therefore, choose life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have honored us by giving us free will and choice. And you have honored us by honoring our choices. And too many times those choices have brought us evil and hardship. We repent of all of that now. And we say, Lord, even if we are blazing in the fire, snatch us out that we might live for you. Help us to make good choices so that we can have a better life. In Jesus' name, amen.